listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Business of Baking podcast. It's Michelle. I was going to say that I'm your hostess with the mostest, but I think that that expression has not been used since the 70s. So let's just not say that. Let's just say that I'm grateful to be able to chat to you guys every other week on the podcast. And as you know, some weeks I do solo shows where it's just me talking to myself and or the dog or the walls that want to listen. And on other weeks, I get to introduce you to some pretty amazing entrepreneurs who I try to focus on people who are not doing the regular thing. They're not necessarily the cake makers or the cookie makers. They're people with other products or an interesting story, or they just have a part of their lives that I think is worth sharing. And today is no different. I'm super excited to be introducing you all to my friend Miranda. She is the owner of Sweet Sticks. Now, I would say that I'm introducing you, but I feel like her reach has gotten pretty far these days because she makes some pretty amazing products. And I'd like to say that I knew her back when, but I didn't know her that far back when. When we met, I actually, she was already on her journey towards awesomeness and amazing female entrepreneurship. And I admire her enormously for all the things she's done. And I'm looking forward to having that chat today. So welcome to the show, Miranda. What a great introduction. Record that and continue that forever. So thank you. Feel free to just record that and like put it on play anytime you're having a crisis of faith. (laughs) Thank you. I'm happy to be here and excited. So when I met you, you had just stopped making cake pops, but that was the genesis of Sweet Sticks, right? It started life out as a cake pop company, yeah? Which by the way, anyone who makes cake pops, I feel like deserves an award anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are now, because now you are like the grower of this incredible empire with amazing products. So let's hear about how that happened. Thank you. So I think there's two histories and I, I think I need to make that really clear from the beginning because yes, the sweet sticks journey started about five years ago when I had my first son, Jacob, but the journey of small business and entrepreneurship started from when I was 16. So I think that it's been my resumes from, you know, Sweet Sticks resumes actually from when I was 16, not necessarily when I started Sweet Sticks. So to break it down and tell the two stories really quickly, I started my first business when I was 16 and I was making rave gear clothing at home on a little domestic sewing machine and would sell that to all my friends. And then that lasted a couple of years. And then I ventured off into my own sleepwear business where I put myself into fashion school for a year and I created a catalog and I was selling sleepwear for in a party plan way and had my own little studio and then ended up with industrial sewing machines and that went on for about four years and then I couldn't see the growth I mean I was really young back then as well but I then I ventured off into my last business before this which was headscarves and 
um, what are they called? Fabric accessories. So there'll be like headscarves and headbands and scarf watches and scarf bracelets. And I used to manufacture all of them from home with a couple of employees and I would sell them around all the Melbourne markets and sometimes in Sydney. And I did that while I was working full-time for eight years. It was a really good side hustle. And the only reason I stopped it was because I became pregnant and my life, you know, had to change, which isn't a bad thing, but I couldn't sustain the working full-time and running that business as well. So then I was pregnant and then realized I needed, needed a new creative outlet. And that's when I found Cake Pops and I'm obsessed with Cake Pops just as much as my pregnancy. So then I taught myself how to make the cake pop, which was great. And then practice with my family and friends, then realized there could be a potential business. But then when I started that business, I realized there wasn't a lot of money in actually making cake pops because they were so time consuming. So then I did two things. I tried to reinvent the cake pop. And so that's when I created the no bake cake pop so instead of the traditional you know bake a cake get the frosting mix it roll it dip it I was making recipes that were just no bake so you know desiccated coconut condensed milk icing sugar boom and so that would reduce the time into a quarter it's like a protein ball sort of kind of yeah just like you know a coconut ball or a protein ball or I had all these different recipes and it reduced the time dramatically. And then, so I was still making the cake pops. And then I realized in Australia, there wasn't really anyone making cake pops. Now I know why. So then I (laughs) decided to create an online course. And so the demand was huge and I didn't even make the course. I sold it prior And I thought if I can sell enough, that will make enough money for me to actually make the course. So I remember I was at a cake expo and I I put a little poster saying, you know, online um, tutorial, 12 videos, and I sold hundreds. It was crazy. So then I was like, okay. So then I made the video and then that video took me around Australia teaching cake pops and even to Mexico. I went there, I was hosted and I taught a cake pop class. And then amongst all of that, I realized decorating a cake pop was really time consuming. And so that's when edible art paint was developed because prior to that, you'd have to mix a few ingredients to create, to form a paint. So talking amongst cake friends, and I think you may have been one of them back in the day, to what do I do with this? And then everyone was like, well, just put it in a bottle. So then I became a crazy food scientist amongst everything else late at night. And I would put food, different ingredients together, trying to formulate this paint. And it was supposed to be designed just for chocolate because that's all I used to work with. And then I had a cake friend come over and say have you tried this with different mediums I'm like god no and so we got the fondant out the ganache out the marshmallows the everything out the roll icing the cookies you name it and then we realized that this product was for everything in the industry and it was almost I remember that moment I had goosebumps I was like oh my god I think I found a niche within a niche and 
I reinvented it into edible art paint. And then here we are today. Except there's more to that story, right? Because the paints then created a life of their own. And then that became other products. Well, yes, that's right. So I originally invented the original paint. And then about a year later, I brought out the metallic range. And then within that, I started the crazy invention process to the edible food paint palette. And now we're bringing out a range of lusters and it seems to be just growing into this awesome little food paint empire. (laughs) Yeah, this very amazing. And you do this while raising two young kids. Like your kids are young. They are. I'm a single mum now also. So they're four and six, but I work a lot from home. I've got a great team. I think right from the beginning, knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at and getting someone to help you with the things that you lack in, I guess, can help you really build a strong business while, you know, being the mom and the friend and, you know, the support and all that kind of stuff. So. so edible art paint is now sold in how many countries worldwide? Do you even know? It's like a lot. Good question. <laughs> Come on, Miranda, where's your marketing statistics? I know, right? We actually said that number the other day, but I don't know it. But I do know that we're in like over 220 shops around the world. 220 shops around the world. We don't even know how many countries, but let's just say lots. From a product that you basically just mixed in a bowl on your kitchen table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You make it sound so easy. And how many colors are there now in the edible paint range? So the edible paint range, there's 53 colors. The edible palette range, there's now 19 colors. And the luster range that's soon to be released will be 22 colors. Right. And so the part that we also haven't mentioned is that you've also done like collaborations with other decorators to create specialty colors and... Absolutely. And you've also, like, I know a little, a tiny bit of the behind the scenes stuff that I know you went and created like a lot of alcohol free products. And can you tell me a little bit about kind of innovating to meet demand? Mm. So with edible art paint, one of the ingredients is a high grade alcohol and that's in there to create fluid product and for it to be able to air dry once on the product. So the alcohol itself evaporates into nothing, but we have a huge, well, not we, but cake decorating itself has a huge uh, religious community out there that can't have alcohol on any of their products. And daily, still to this day, do your products contain alcohol? Like we get that email to us all the time. And then you just have to listen to what people are asking for. So in the background, I'm like, okay, how can I create a product that doesn't have alcohol in it. And that's when the brain started ticking for the food palette. And so the inspiration was obviously, and the demand was from the halal people, like who need to have it halal certified or alcohol free. And the inspiration towards the design was in makeup, funny enough. So yeah, that took about a year to develop on and off, trying developing different recipes and formulas and failing and going back to the drawing board and speaking to different suppliers and researching how ingredients work together and the activation when, you know, two ingredients match up and all sorts of stuff. So it's a long but really exciting process. 
So for those who aren't familiar with the product, maybe we should just briefly say, so edible art paint is literally like paint you can eat in a bottle in little but now big bottles. And you can literally paint that on with a paintbrush on pretty much anything. By the way, have you ever, this is totally random and so me to be thinking about this, but like, wonder if you could branch that out into like body paint. Cause it's I edible. Awesome all the time. No. <laughs> anyway. So, okay. So there's the, I know my mind works in string. I'm like, like I literally, as I was saying the words, you can paint it on anything. I was like, Hmm. Anyway, so there's that. Then there's the edible palette, which literally looks like a eyeshadow palette with like the little round, I don't know, cakes? What would you call those? Little round palettes? Tins, yeah, palettes in there Mm -hmm. that you activate that paint with water. Is that right? It's a completely different medium. So, and it's completely revolutionary, I guess, in cake decorating itself. So you get the product and it's completely hard. Like an eyeshadow would be, right? Like it's a a hard thing. Eyeshadow is still dust form. This is like rock hard solid. Ah, okay. Got it. And then you get your brush and you activate it with water slowly. And then you can see the pan slowly. You can see it activating, the two ingredients activating together. And then it forms, it slowly starts forming a paste, Mm -hmm. which then turns into a paint. Right. So then there's that. And then now there is the kind of colored range of that. Because originally that was just metallics and now there's a colored metallic range, right? So we've got, we started off with the 10 pack, which was the golds and silvers. And then we branched off just literally two weeks ago, we launched it with another color palette, which is taking off. And the latest product, which I'm a little bit in love with the packaging because that's less flippant idea I've seen in ages. So the latest product is a line of traditional luster dust, right? Like there are loose powder that you add alcohol to, to get a paint, right? And one of the, I love those products. I actually saw them, I think on Instagram not long ago, because the box looks like a Tic Tac box. (laughs) And I think that's so super cute. That's the thing. So I guess trying to create a product and look, lusters are already oversaturated in the market, which is fair enough, but it uh, doesn't mean to say that you can't create still a line, but it's just finding that point of difference. Every other luster that's out there on the market comes in a jar form, twist the lid, you've got to scoop it out with a spoon or tap it, it goes everywhere. And then so that's where the inspiration for better packaging came for the lusters. And so even just finding that packaging took almost a year because if I was going to bring out a luster range, it had to have a huge point of difference, not just colours. And packaging is such an important part of all of this process. It needs to be cute. It needs to be, you know, Insta-worthy. It's not just a product that you need. You want your customer to want it. And so that's where the Tic Tac container came so you literally flip it tap it and you're done it's genius i like every time i look at it i'm like that's the cutest i want to like own them just to put them on my shelf <laughs> exactly that was- i don't even decorate anymore and i just want to own them to put them on my shelf because it's know, adorable so, <laughs> so let me ask you a question do you think you're successful i know i bet that's a hard one right i just came out of the left with that do you, yeah. like would you consider yourself a successful business owner uh, yeah, I would. Yes, absolutely. I strive, you know, every day, you know, I show up and I'd like to think 
I show up for my staff, you know, for my customers and, you know, how I can be better every day. There's no settling. And I'm providing for my children and, I'm, you know, I've got a home for my kids and that's what's important. Was there a point at which you looked around, I don't know, maybe at piles of boxes or maybe at staff or I don't know, whatever, and went, oh, my God, I'm actually doing this? I get that every day. <laughs> yeah. That part doesn't go away. Because the business has been somewhat successful, it feels like every month because we're adding new products or we're outgrowing a space or we're getting a new staff member, there's always something to keep going for if that makes striving for. Like <laughs> we're currently moving into a big factory now. Not big, but you know, bigger than this tiny little studio that we're in. Yeah. And even that it's like, oh my gosh, wow, like you know, here we are, something that started, you know, this tiny little room at my old house now, you know, into its third premises is, yeah, it's, it's um, joyful, that's for sure. One of the things that was a great joy to me when I owned the cake business was hiring other people, not because that's an easy process, because it's not, like managing other people is challenging. But the idea that a business I created to support my family supported somebody else's family was a really big deal to me. Do you feel that? I do. And I'm really grateful for my team that everybody shows up every day. It's not just a place where I feel anyway, I hope that it's not just a place where you come to work. Like everyone literally, their role is so significant. Like we can't do our job without them. So it's like this one big you know, happy little family. I mean, half my family work here and, you know, I have one of my besties here and, and yeah, it's awesome. Is the family and friends support part of how you've also made the motherhood part of this work? Hmm. Yes, I would say so. I've had to call in on friends and family to help out with the kids when possible. And recently I've had to pull back on my hours. Well, I shouldn't say pull back on my hours, but I've had to accommodate working from home and also working from the studio because of the children Mm -hmm. but instead of complaining about it you just do I think that's the other thing you just do and you make it work yeah I'm a big fan of you make it work like if the kids are eating this dinner in the studio well whatever (laughs) you know like if they're learning how to screw the tops on bottles nice and young well they're already working now you know like sometimes they're putting the stickers on the lids or they're taking the packaging out of its plastic and yeah really nice I like seeing that because they, you know, I feel proud, you know, as a mum that I'm showing them, you know, what, what it's like to, you know, look after yourself and create this business and, you know, just to keep going. I think it's inspirational for them. Yeah, I agree. Although I will admit, I don't know that I've ever actually said this publicly. So here you go, Miranda. The conf- Welcome to the confession box, also known as the podcast. <laughs> I always struggled with this feeling of, I'm not being on the fence. That's not the right way. But there were definitely days where I felt like because I had the children, that meant I wasn't able to make the progress at the speed I wanted to make the progress. Mm-hmm. So there was like the businesswoman in me who was like, I want to do so much more stuff and spend more money and do more marketing and go to more things and do, you know, whatever. I had this like having kids is slowing down my entrepreneur train. And then the other side of me was like, those kids are only going to be little ones. Like, this is it. I'm not going to have a chance to raise them again. So if it slows my speed down, who really cares? The point is they're going to grow up and then I can speed up. 
you know? But I always had that internal struggle with like, the kids are slowing me down, but yet at the same time I had kids to have kids. I didn't, you know, so I don't know. Have you ever feel that way? Um, I did. And then I had to make a really big change. So there was a couple of things. I struggled with that a lot. Yes, I agree with you. My solution to that was two things to when I'm with my children, I'm with them. I can't work. Like if it's, you know, office, you know, computer emails and phone conversations, I promise myself I'll never do that when I'm with the children. The other thing was I structurally planned it so I could hire, I guess. So I can kind of have my cake and eat it too, if that makes sense. And that's when the staff part is really important, really knowing who and what you need to be able to free yourself from areas. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I think you start to value, like one of the things I did was I valued my time differently, if that makes sense. Like really good example is like I wanted to hire a house cleaner, right? And I was like, oh, I can just do it myself. It's free. It's blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, you know what? Hang on. If I hire a house cleaner, that frees up like five hours or whatever of my time a week that I could be spending doing something I'd rather spend. Mm -hmm. That money I'm giving her is supporting her family. And let's be real, the job is going to get done better (laughs) by someone else because I'm a terrible housekeeper. I couldn't agree with you more. I hired a home helper. I got creative, Michelle. And I I actually put a job in on Gumtree as a home helper. So not just a cleaner. I wanted someone to come in clean my home, change my sheets, do my washing, hang it, fold it, make my juice, go to the shops if I need to. And so I kind of tweaked the job description of a cleaner and she's amazing. Yeah. But the thing we don't realize is that it's, we often small business owners and let's be real women will look at the cost of that and go, I can't afford that. Like that's ridiculous. But what you don't realize is that by freeing up your time, you actually can afford a lot more because then your time is better spent growing your business, selling more product, doing more marketing, spending time with your kids, whatever. We don't realize that the cost is not the money and the return on investment is much, much higher than you would otherwise think. I could not agree more. I thank my home helper every day. Yeah, I think making that step though, like to saying I need help and I need to pay somebody is scary. But once you do it, you like never look back. I don't do my own ironing anymore. The ironing is from chumps, man, I can't iron. (laughs) And, you know, little things like that that just make a massive difference to your life. But the fear of jumping into paying somebody to do stuff. I think it's not just that. I think it's also just valuing your own time. We all only have 24 hours in the day, so. Yeah, and it, well, it's also like looking at your attitude around money and help. Like a lot of people are like, oh, only rich people have cleaners. I'm like, no, there's a lot of pretty normal people out there who have cleaners because it lets yeah. them go to work, be with their kids, you whatever it is they're doing, right? Yep, so. So Miranda, one of the things that I've always admired about you is that you are the quintessential ideas woman. I feel like you never sleep because you just (laughs) lay in bed all night, like coming up with cool ideas. Is that true? Uh... (laughs) I really want it to be true. So can you just like lie to me and be like, yes, Michelle, I'm up all night. (laughs) No, I'm not up all night, but my brain does not stop. I have to admit in terms of like, yes, it does stop when I'm watching like keeping up with the Kardashians or, you know, I have my downtime. Yeah. But I love coming up with ideas and products and how I can 
create something from nothing to something. Like that's the part that I really enjoy in business. So what's the process that you go through? Because, you know, I imagine you come up with, you know, let's just say 10 ideas a week. Okay, let's just like randomly put a number there. How do you go like, oh, of these 10 ideas, eight of those are truly ridiculous. One of those, meh, and one of those is a winner. Like, how do you look at an idea and go, yep, that's the one I'm going to pursue? That's hard. I think it's a lot of it is market research. So when I say market research, it's me sitting on all, you know, parts of social media, Pinterest, different blogs, the internet, seeing what's out there, the price points, is there a demand, looking on Amazon, does it have a lot of stars, is it needed, do people talk about it? So that in itself is a really long process, but for me that's something that I'm happy to do like at the end of the day and spend some time on. That's, I don't think enough People do that, want to invest the time. They just want the end product. But, you know, a lot of people would rather be sitting on Facebook instead of looking into, you know, the back end of creating a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of time spent on researching. And then it, depending on the product, say, for example, the lusters, I already had the lusters because of our paint. So I didn't necessarily had to come up with the product itself. But the packaging and the demand was where it took me a long time. And I spent so many nights on Alibaba, AliExpress websites, (laughs) looking for packaging. I bought so many samples. You should see the studio. There's boxes filled of samples of, you know, for luster. So it wasn't a quick, easy process. But I guess if you, to answer your question, I couldn't really tell you what, the trick is in going, okay, I'm going to go for this idea. I think it was just, I must have an imaginary checklist in my head of all the things that need to be ticked before I pursue a product. So for the lusters, I know there's a demand for it. It, People use it for all different sorts of, you know, mediums, cookies, cakes, chocolate. The list is endless. You know, another big tick was It can be used globally because you can mix it with water, you can mix it with lemon extract, or you can mix it with alcohol, or you can just use it a straight dust. So that ticked a big box. Is it an already existing product? Yes. Can you make it different? Yes. And that's when the packaging part came about. So I wanted to, I realized in cake decorating, a lot of the products out there are packaged, I don't want to say poorly, but they're out there designed because they're needed, not because they're wanted. So I wanted to create the desire for both. And that's where I feel why this business has become successful because it's just changing the way things done. I want to stop here for a second. One of the things I say is your absolute 100% best marketing hack tool. I don't know what you want to call it is listening right? I say this a lot. I've said this in multiple podcasts, articles, whatever, that listening is like your number one useful tool when it comes to marketing. And people really struggle with that because we naturally tend to listen to like the one negative voice in the room instead of the 50 positive voices in the room. So, you know, one person says like, oh, that's really expensive. And suddenly we're like, oh my God, I need to fix my pricing and I need to this, that, and the other, whatever. And in my own experience, there have been times when people say, Michelle, I want this, I want that, I want the other. And I go ahead and I produce it because I think, oh, there's clearly market demand. I send it out into the world and then there's crickets. 
<laughs> so it's funny, like the listening one, I always recommend it as like, listen to what your clients are asking, listen to what your customers are asking, listen to what other cake decorators are complaining about, because that's usually, you know, a key that there's a product in need there. Mm -hmm. But I think what you said is really important. There has to be more than one item on that checklist. So I do think listening and responding to customer desire is number one, but then there has to be all the other things on that list too. Absolutely. It's, you know, does your brand fit into the industry? Do you, are you sending the right message across? You know, is it, needed what is it needed for is it in a decent price point you do have to price point is important you don't i'm sweet sticks has become a premium brand our prices are since launching three years ago there's so many replicas of our product but you know much cheaper versions not good quality but if that's where i am i need to make sure i live to that expectation so if I am a premium product, or so if the cake decorator is, is a premium cake decorator, you need to live up to that. So, you know, we always make sure our quality control on every batch is done. You know, our labeling is like always straight. And, you know, the quality that goes into producing every bottle, it's all here in Australia. And, you know, we take so much pride in that. And so if we are going to be the premium product, I'm going to live up to that. So catch 22. But it's also, it's an ongoing listening process, right? You produce something, you hear what people have to say about it, and then you edit again, right? In the same way that you did that thing with the non-alcohol products, right? You launched it, everybody loves it, but then everybody's like, hey, it'd be really great if there was a non-alcohol version of this. And then you kind of, you know, then went and reinvented that product to make it more accessible. So Absolutely. I think that listening idea sort of never really ends. The example from my own life that sticks out is I really wanted to break into teaching in America one-on-one. -on -one or live rather, I should say, not one-on-one. -on -one. And I announced this class and I sold it. And I was like, yeah, look at me, I'm going to America. Oh my God, you know, whatever. And I think I had like 50 spots and I think I sold like six. Right. <laughs> and I was not going to lie, I was pretty depressed about that. But in the end, I actually refunded those six people their money. I offered them an hour of my time one-on-one -on -one in exchange for feedback. Why weren't their friends buying it? And why were they buying it? And so we went and did like a whole bunch of these like one-on-one -on -one interviews where I gave them coaching for free, which was at the time I charged a lot for it. I still do because I rarely do it. And I was like, okay, I don't get it. What made you buy this? Why do you think your friends haven't bought it? And the intel that I got from that meant that, you know, six months later when I relaunched those American classes, it was a complete sellout across the country. Oh, yay. Look at you because you listened. Yeah, because you listened. But it would have been so easy and it fits into your thing about like just keep turning up, just keep turning in. It would have been so easy the first time that didn't fly to just go like, yep, clearly it's never meant to be and everyone in America hates me and I'm never going to be a success. Like it would have been easy to fall into a hole. Absolutely. And I think going on to that, I always say on the few talks that I've done about business success, that's only one part of it. I think mindset success is equally as important. So it's all good to get a business mentor but, or a business plan, but you also need to make sure literally on the same line that you have a mental health plan because if you're in, you know, I call it, I have names for all the different personalities, but if you're a Debbie Doubter or a Debbie Downer or negative Nancy or anything like that, those thoughts are going to change your mindset and change how you are going to react to things. 
I want to reach through this microphone and give you the biggest hug in the world for bringing up the topic of mental health. <laughs> so in the last 18 months, the shift of business baking has shifted massively from a very practical how-to, how to write newsletters, how to market your business, how to price. I still teach all that. Mm -hmm. But my personal focus has become the mental health side of our industry and just how difficult so many of us find it. And I think it's really important. I consider it a great honor that I get to shine the light really brightly on the fact that we have, I think our industry has a mental health problem as, as an industry. And I think women do because we're all pressuring each other to do stupid stuff, but I think our industry does as well. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And so for you, when mindset is something you're aware of that needs to be important, when you do have competing priorities of children and business and, you know, whatever relationships, et cetera. What tools do you employ to ensure that your mental health is in a good place? So I have seen a mentor slash life coach slash astrologer for the last four years, every, whether, depending on what I'm going through in my life, whether it be every month, every fortnight or every week. Lately, it's been every week. The last 12 months, you know, I've gone through a separation of my own. So showing up, you know, has been a challenge personally. But having said that, I see her. I've learned to have my own little medicine bag. So that's what I call it. So my health is really important. I make, you know, I juice every day. I make sure I look after, you know, myself and my children. I'm a big believer of what you put in your, you know, your belly is, you know, everything. So our nutrition is really important. Exercise is huge, you know, a big deal. I've got my infrared sauna that I go into. I meditate. I say my gratitude, you know, even this morning I was just lying in my bed. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful for my bed. You know, stupid little, I shouldn't, shouldn't call them stupid, but little things, it's a constant show up. And my list is huge. Having green juice, talking to my friends, making sure I have dinner plans, spending quality time with my children. Like my list of filling my personal cup is huge and probably more so a focus than the business because I know when I'm good, my business will be good. Oh my God. Seriously. <laughs> Well, I think the pervasive attitude I hear so often is that we think that that's an indulgence and I could not disagree more. I don't think it's an indulgence. I think it's a complete necessity it has to be. every day, whatever way you want to do that. I think looking after ourselves, you know, when you are a whole and complete person, that makes you so much able, much more able to be a whole and complete business owner, a whole and complete mother, a whole and complete friend, you know, whatever. But you know, that stuff starts at home where home is your body and your mind, right? Yeah, my God. So I just wanted to touch on one last thing and I don't want to keep you for too long because I know you have lots happening. <laughs> but you mentioned before that Sweet Sticks products now have a lot of copycats. And that is something that, look, I intellectually teach people that when you have copycats, see it as a compliment, be grateful and move on. You know, just keep you know, the fact is you're always going to be ahead of whoever those copycats are because you're, you know, you're the brains that created it. But the emotional side of that is a little bit different because when you see somebody copying you for cheaper or for whatever, it can be really hard to not take that as a, you know, a bit of a personal blow. So you've had this, you've had people who have copied your products. So how have you dealt with that? By the way, if the answer is not well, that's okay too. <laughs> Look, there was one scenario that I didn't handle it very well. I was quite emotional 
about it because of how it, it unfolded and it was really unprofessional and I did take it personal and because it was really out there and it came out in a vindictive way, if that makes sense, Yeah, that product, you know, is triple the, the amount for, you know, the same price. So it was really push, trying to push me out of the industry, which that's, I got really personal about it. Since then, I've done a lot of work on myself <laughs> and I now try and look at it and we all look at it as a team actually going, okay, cool, this product is out now. You know, it's good to know what can we do? What's the difference? Like, you know, we always grab the product and we always paint with it. We always see the packaging and, and 10 times out of 10, our product is always the winner. And that's what I have to just keep remembering. Like, this is our point of difference. This is why we're here. And make sure that, you know, we just keep showing up and being the better version of our business and our product. Yeah. Did I answer that correctly? <laughs> I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I think that's what happens for you. So that's the right answer, right? But I think the important thing in what you said there, Miranda, is that you check yourself right? You go back to the product. Let me just check that this is actually what it's meant to be and what I want it to be. And, you know, how does this compare? You have to, I mean, that's, you got to take the personal stuff out. Like you really have to go, okay, cool. There's another product. And is their product better? Is it, you know, at the right price point, does it work as, you know, well as ours or better? You know, how is their packaging? Who are they selling to? You don't want to get too involved, but you do need to do the non-emotional research and either learn from it or so you can better better the business and the product or, you know, give yourself a high five and go, right, we're, we're still doing, you know, really well and keep going. You know, ironically, I think it's all the self-work that we do, for those of us who do it, that actually allows you to then do that non-personal research part. Very true. Right. Because, you know, I'm a big believer in feel the feels, get angry and pissed off and upset and cry, whatever if you want to, but then you got to get up and just carry on. Right. But I think the more you work on yourself and, you know, the meditation or the juicing, whatever your thing is, the more able you are to not let the emotional piece completely suck you in. Right. And I think the difference between somebody who looks after themselves versus somebody who doesn't is somebody not looking after themselves feels emotional about that crappy thing happening and then just can't get out of that. Whereas somebody who prioritizes their mental health and probably their physical health can still feel the feels and be upset, but kind of reaches a point where they're like, okay, I've done my upset now. Now I need to figure out, is there something to be worried about here or not? Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's a real thing. Like I've noticed in myself, the things that I used to get emotional about competitors, whatever, I still get emotional about them because I'm an emotional creature, but the, the amount of time I spend in that space is a lot shorter. Well, we just, funny enough, literally just two days ago, I was tagged in a product somewhere in Asia that have replicated my palette. And it was like, oh, it was a, you know, a bit of a blow. It was such, my palette is like my baby. And I looked at it and you can't even compare. It's, yes, they've tried to replicate it, but our product is so much better. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to keep remembering that. And like you said, take it as a compliment, I guess, but make Which sure. Easier, easier said than done, but I still think you should do it. <laughs> yeah, true. But, you know, I did have a moment. I sent back a message to the person who tagged me. I was like, WTF, damn it. 
I had my moment and then I'm like, all right, well, I've got to move on. I can't do anything about it. It's, you know, it's done. That's it. So given that you are this amazing ideas woman, a hundred good ideas before breakfast, <laughs> what's next for Sweet Sticks? Like not in terms of specific products, but where are you taking, like, do you have a vision for where you're taking this business? Oh, my vision changes every day. <laughs> <laughs> But all I know is, you know, we're moving new premises, which is exciting. And, you know, we're getting, we're upgrading our machinery, which is, you know, even more exciting. I went to Germany recently and, you know, realized there's so many other more opportunities in terms of, you know, the world selling across the globe. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, future is to still try and be the leading, you know, brand in cake decorating for, you know, food paint and, you know, painting applications and increasing the countries we we're in and the stores that we we're in and, you know, making it into a little, you know, empire. That's the, and just wanting to make sure I have a business that provides for my family, really. <laughs> yep. Which sounds like a pretty damn good goal to me. So, you know, I'm all for that. And my last question is, if you could tell somebody who's developing a product now, I'm not going to talk about the cake makers. Let's say you ran across somebody who was young and still in that mad food scientist stage. What would you tell them? Don't give up. When I was making my paint, people around me thought I was crazy because it was just an idea. And when the kids were, you know, when Jacob was asleep and, you know, I'm begging suppliers to, you know, give me samples and they wouldn't because it was such a crazy idea. There were so many moments where I could have easily just given up, but there was this, I don't know, there was this little person in my brain that just said, just keep going, keep going. doesn't matter what anyone says. And I would say to them, just keep going. That's it. Just keep turning up. Turning up, showing up, be the best version of yourself. And if you've got the idea, just follow through. And if you, you know, by the end of it, if you really honestly, without emotion, say, okay, it's not feasible, different story, but uh, give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out. Right. And then you move on to the next thing. Okay. That didn't work out. Whatever. The lesson that you would have learned in that is, you know, unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. Miranda, you've been unbelievable to talk to. I'm so grateful that you took the time out to chat to me and to everybody listening today. And I guess if they take no other lesson other than just keep turning up, it's a pretty powerful lesson. I think for a lot of us, giving up, it's not necessarily easy, but it feels like it's going to be the easier option. And I actually think it kind of is easy to give up. It's not that hard to keep on turning up. So I hope that everybody listening takes that from it. I am very excited to see where Sweet Sticks goes next. And I'm very excited to see all these amazing products keep rolling off the line. And congratulations on moving to a bigger premises and just being an all around generally inspirational and awesome woman. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's been you are amazing. Keep on keeping on. For anybody who'd like to see Miranda's products, you can see them at sweetsticks.com. Is that right? Sweetsticks.com.au. You can also find her on Instagram at Sweetsticks. Really, she's not that hard to find. Just Google Sweetsticks and you will find all the cool things in the universe, pretty much. And then you can buy all the cool things in the universe because she makes some really fabulous products. I have actually used them myself multiple times because I am a lazy cake decorator. And I was like, oh, you can paint this on instead of me having to color this. This is excellent. So I love a high quality product that is both efficient 
and amazing. And no, she didn't pay me to say this. And no, she didn't pay me to appear on this podcast. It's entirely an unsolicited, I think she makes cool stuff. And I also think that we should all support, you know, not so small anymore, but small-ish business that's homegrown. And women need to support women because the rising tide lifts all boats. Thanks again, Miranda, for being on the show. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.